You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Who are you and what do you make for a living? Hi, I'm Carrie Francis. I'm an actress. I'm a singer, songwriter, voiceover artist, and as of last year, producer. What do you mean as of last year, you're a a producer? What did you produce? Um, I produced a feature last year with um, some friends who had been involved in the crew side um, of a movie I did a couple years before that. And um, they reached out to do, could I do some voiceover for it? And, um, instead of paying me, I really want to start having more producer and producing credits. And I wanted to just get my feet wet with something with people I knew. So instead of paying me, we did a a credit trade, uh, for producing. And I've learned a lot since then, because once IMDB has you listed as a producer, it's like, here's 7,000 emails from people who want to pitch you things and, you know, didn't do any research on you, you know? So yes, but I would say, you know, categorically, I, I classify myself the most as an actress and singer. So take me all the way back. How did you get started singing and acting? Um, I started singing before I could speak. I, I, you know, was just that baby that did that. And, um, I got into lessons. My mom is a music teacher. She's done piano lessons out of her house, you know, since as long as I can remember. And, um, she, with her background was like, we're going to put you in classical training. So I actually started studying, um, opera and very classic Italian training musically when I was 11, which I know most 11 year olds are doing. That's what they want to sing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) so I was singing and, you know, doing these crazy Latin exercises and, um, give us a sample. What is it? What is, no, what is it? <laughs> no, definitely. If you not. sing opera, I'll sing opera. That's all I got. Trade, That's trade on some opera. <laughs> um, no, I do. I still still do sing some opera when I just feel like it, or I'll you know be singing around the house and trade out little words. But that led into um, you know I I am very much now aware, but I wasn't aware then that I was a, a weird little kid where um, I would find you know whether it was casting calls in New York and beg my parents, could I go? Um, I, you know, would go online when I was like 11, 12 and like do detective work. And I would find agents and managers and like cold pitch them. Um, it's very weird. And we would get like, you know, messages on the machine, family machine that would be like, you know, Hey, we got your, if you're this, you know, go getting at such a young age, we'd love to meet with you. My parents would be like, what are you doing on the computer? (laughs) Like you can't do that, you know? Um, and so that I did, you know, I'd go in for some auditions, but I had a, a full regular small town childhood and I, I was cheerleading and I was doing all sorts of stuff. Um, Where'd and you I was uh, New Jersey, ah, small you know, town, New Jersey, small town, New Jersey, like 45 minutes outside of the city. Um, you know, 35 minutes to the beach. And so we would go to New York a lot anyway. And, um, we would go do those like cattle calls and I did community theater and I went to, um, school for musical theater. It kind of became, well, I'm right by New York. I love to sing and I love to act. I might as well pursue musical theater, but it wasn't ever really what I wanted. You know, I would, I would watch movies or TV when I was little and cry because I didn't understand why other kids were on it and I couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, lots of self-induced pressure as a little kid for sure. Um, and then, uh, right out of school, I went to an open call for the Fiddler on the Roof, uh, tour with Topol who starred in the movie and it was going to be his big final hurrah, big North American, (laughs) you know, tour. And I had been going to open calls like that for, since I could drive. So several years and I would just sit there and I wouldn't get seen because equity would get seen first. And I wasn't, 
union and this was a union project and I did get seen and I was the only person out of over 800 people they saw that booked it from the open call and I got my union card right away. So I joined equity um, and I went on tour for two years, including to where you are. With Topol? With Topol himself. That, how um, long yes. has he been doing that role? Has he ever done another role? He, I think he's done some other things, but I believe this fan was. So he was in his mid-70s. I think he was 74 when we did it. Um, and he had started doing it in his 30s. Well, I was going to say, I'm, I feel like yeah. like thinking back to Fiddler on the Roof, like the movie, where he, which he's in, I thought yeah. he was 70 then. Like, I, I, I have this distorted thing. So he's 75 now, basically. No, now I think he's got to be in his 80s because oh, I think wow. he was 74, 75. And, you know, um, obviously he was in good health and, you know, doing well, but he hurt his hip. Um, and so about a year into the tour, he was like, I can't do this anymore. And I, I think he maybe had had enough too. Um, and I was playing his fourth daughter. So the, you know, there was the five of us girls and the rest of the, the cast. And, um, he was like, I'm out pretty much. And we all kind of were like, uh, we have like another year long of this contract. We all need the work, like what's happening. And, um, Harvey Firestein came and, and stepped in and took over, which is so fun. And since he had some things already going on contractually, when he would leave, Theo Bikel, who was the original um, Captain Von Trapp in the Broadway version of Sound of Music, another storied, amazing career, would step in. So suddenly I'm 22. I'm like, you know, a baby. I have no idea what I'm doing. It's my first union job. I'm getting to see the whole continent for free being treated, you know, like royalty everywhere we go. And now I've got Topol, Harvey, and Theo, which is like <laughs> insane, you know? So that's how I fell into it. And um, and since there, it's just been been going and growing. Um, when I finished that tour, I fell into voiceover and commercials. Um, I still wasn't totally doing what I wanted to be doing, though. Um, and that took some stepping back to kind of re- frame, you know, what do I want? And then how do I do it? I understood I was really successful. Um, I, I remember doing a play, doing a play in New York in 2015. And I would just like sob outside the theater, literally 42nd and 9th, like living so many people's dreams. And I didn't even want to be there. So I had to take a step back. Not that I didn't enjoy that experience, obviously. Um, and not that I don't enjoy commercials and voiceover. I love that stuff. But I really wanted to do TV and movies and I really wanted to sing and having the, the success I was having, even though it was great, it wasn't quite enough yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little confused here. How old were you? If you don't mind my asking right. at this point where you realize I, I I'm on the road with Topol and then I'm on the road with fire with fire, Harvey Firestein. And then, but, but, but I'm not thrilled. Like, cause then all of a sudden you're back in New York, right? Like you were, you yeah, were back I was pretty thrilled on tour. Yeah. I was pretty thrilled. Yeah. I was having the time of my life on tour. Um, and which not everybody does like, that's not an easy thing to be on tour indefinitely. It's, no. it's basically when you're not on stage, you're on the road, you're literally traveling to the next town. Yeah. I think because it was Topol, it was planned for him. It was very cushy. We would have, um, you know, three, four, five, even weeks sit downs like in Toronto, we were there for five weeks and it did so well. We actually came back. Um, unexpectedly for another few weeks. Right. Toronto is definitely um, a, it's a fiddler town. Oh, it's a fiddler town. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like we LA, we were there for five weeks, you know, so I was doing meetings while I was there and I was flying out. Sometimes I would do auditions. I would, you know, hop a flight to New York, do the audition and fly back to wherever tour was. Was this for um, auditions for other shows or commercials? Yeah. Or like TV if it was or... Broadway, mm -hmm. um, or if it was a pilot or something and I really wanted to be seen, um, 
I would do that. But yeah, no, I loved that. I still love it in my heart so much. I had the best time. Um, and I think that's the right time to go on tour, right? When you're really young and you don't have, I didn't have a, you know, a family or super big responsibilities. I didn't even have an apartment, you know, I had literally just gotten out of school. So, um, yeah, I love that. It only was a few years later that maybe, you know, 25 ish, 26 ish from there where I was like, I don't think, I think I'm successful and I want to make sure I'm successful at what I really want and what I love so much and what I've always seen for myself. So yeah, not to give the wrong impression for sure. I had the best time. I had the best time. I mean, you talk about pressure, like, is there a certain amount of urgency that you feel? I mean, acting, singing, being on stage, being on camera, these are generally speaking, a air quotes, young person's game, right? Like you've got to have the look and you have to have the energy and you have to have the freedom and of course the talent and, and, and opportunity. Like, were you feeling like you had to make a change? Like there was an urgency because time was running out, opportunity was running out, or were you just sort of, did you think you were just kind of, uh, treading water a little bit? I think that, um, externally, I have a very clear memory of, I'm really tiny, right? So that's why I was playing a 12 year old. And, you know, I've just started to play adults in the last couple of years. And especially in theater, right? You, you play young to a certain point. And I remember one of my friends, very well-meaning, who also does this or did this for a living saying, well, you know, you have until like 30. And so once you hit 30, that's it. And I remember like early on in those rehearsals, uh, a group of the older women saying, you need to choose between, you know, being in a relationship, having a family and being an actress. These are things that all these people meant well, right? But they really messed with me. And so I held on to those things as though they were truths. I now know nobody knows. There's no actual path and there's no truth here. You know, it's just whatever is going on for you. But I did feel like, you know, if I wanted to, to move to LA or if I wanted to do, I would go in for a lot of Nickelodeon and, and younger things. And that felt like, hey, do it now, do it now, you know, but Again, I, I didn't know at that point really how to shift into it. Why do you think some of the more established women that you spoke with, why do you think they felt compelled to warn you about this choice? From their own lives, right? From, from whatever experiences they've had. And that's what everyone does, right? Um, your parents or whoever raises you and, and family members and just the elders in your life want to somehow protect you in a way they didn't feel protected, right? Or they're reflecting back something maybe they're disappointed about but it doesn't mean it was going to be true for a 22 year old brand new to the industry, you know, who wasn't even thinking about getting married. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's almost always out of good intentions, but we have to be really cautious about the things we hurdle onto other people. Yeah. I mean, you could make the argument that any career for anybody is going to, you know, demand a certain amount of sacrifice and a certain amount of attention in order to be successful. But you know, there's something a little bit different about being in the entertainment business because your work time is everybody else's downtime. Mm. Does it change the way you view your work when you know that it is for people's entertainment, but it's entertaining them when you're working? No, it's, it's an interesting question. It's not something that I've actually ever thought about, um, at least in terms of, of stage, for sure. Um, I do think that if you want to be a performer, especially theater, and you're doing eight shows a week, you have to live in a way that other people just don't live. Um, you know, your health has to be the number one priority. You have to be physically making sure you're working out, you're drinking your water, you're eating foods that really support you, but not too much food. So you can go on stage and your sleep schedule is radically different. You know, if you get off stage at 1130 at night 
And then you go to some after party. Okay. You go to bed at three every night, you know? So no one else really functions like that, <laughs> except I guess infants, you know, are yeah. only, but, um, and I think you have to be okay with that. And for a long time, I tried very hard to maintain my quote unquote regular life, making sure I got to everything for friends and, you know, um, didn't miss a wedding. And if I did, I felt horrible. And, you know, had a very normal life. And I was trying to maintain the other side of it, which is my career. You actually can't, maybe some people can, but I could not be two people at once. Um, which I think again, is a youthful lesson. So yeah, I don't know if, I don't know if, um, being the entertainment for others, that to me feels like the best gift in the world. So I don't think that ever felt like a a struggle. It was the struggle to release. I'm not actually like these people that I'm friends with. I'm not actually like the people I grew up with and that's okay. Tell me what you're working on right now, because you said you were you were certainly on a good path, but you weren't exactly happy with where you were headed. You wanted to make a, a bit of a change, so you wound up in, in film and television. And, and is that where you're pushed to now? Yes, 100%. So now I'm delighted to tell you, yes, film and TV and music, which is what I always wanted, is exactly what I'm doing. Um, and that came at, you know, many years of of struggle and pain and all the things we all go through, Right. Um, but the other side of it is delicious. The other side of it is like, there's this part of me that I constantly feel within the set for my first movie. And I just felt like the whole time, little, little me, right? Like younger me freaking out, you know, and just feeling like I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong. I knew since I was like seven, eight years old, I knew this is where I'm supposed to be. It just took a little longer to get here. Um, but yes, that is, that is what I'm, I'm doing now. Um, currently, right in the moment, I'm releasing a song. So I'm releasing my first ever, my song versus songs I've sung on for other people, um, which this I is did. one you wrote. It's yeah. So yeah. I wrote it um, and I worked with a great young producer um, who plays for a big country artist. Um, so he actually has been on tour and I'm in New Jersey and we did this whole song remotely and you would never know. Like, it's just, it, it, I can't believe we figured this out, which is great. Um, so he did the music and, um, it's a holiday tune because we're going to the holiday season. There's something about holiday work that felt the safest to create for my first song versus just letting one of my like personal songs out. You know, it, there's something universal about wanting that uplifting feeling in the holidays. So, um, that comes out next week, um, next Thursday, the 18th, which is soon. It's called for Christmas. Um, and I can't really believe that it exists. It's very exciting and that, you know, people are going to hear it. But, but for me, it really felt like not so much about the song and more about like remembering that I am and, and everyone really is deeply capable when we have a clear goal, break that goal into steps and then run at it, you know, and not talk ourselves out of it or, you know, think of reasons why we can't and just do it and like, look what I did. You know, so there's something really satisfactory already about it, whether anyone ever listens to it or not. You can spend your entire career as a performer singing other people's songs, saying other people's words. What is it about making stuff that that really motivates you? I love that question. Uh, again, I think so much of where I am now comes from the last few years of of doing a lot of deep hard work um, that I think most people probably don't want to do or shy away from. Um, and I ran at that the way I run at my goals. And that has undone and unlayered so much within me that on the other side, I've realized, oh, I have something to say. 
and people want to hear it. Um, I think also I did a, um, a big movie called Knives Out a couple of years ago, and that has changed um, a lot of the trajectory for me in many ways. One of those ways being um, not only on set, but in events and at things following up so many men, you know, and I'm all for it. Like, that's great. You know, there's amazing people creating, but I would be at these like dinners or I would be at, you know, follow-up stuff or Q and A's. And I would look around, I'd be like, Hmm, Hmm. You know, like where, where are the women? Where are the women making films? Where are the women, you know, writing songs? If you look at award nominations, a lot of times it's like, I was just looking at it for animated song, current animated song nominations. And um, it's six men and one woman, right? And that's okay. I think it, I think it tags back to what we were talking about earlier with the older women who were like, Hey, be careful. And it is hard to balance, you know, a partner or family or, you know, a life with doing this. But that was a lot of why I, I started to think my voice is just as important and powerful. Um, and I've always been writing songs and I've always been writing scripts. And now I think I'm in a place where I can actually put them out. What do you think about the, th- the fact that women are asked to balance career and family, but you very rarely hear the discussion about, about men balancing career and family? Mm-hmm. Like the supposition is that women have to do it, is that their mm-hmm. responsibility. How do you feel about that? Oh, it makes me crazy. It makes me crazy. Um, and I've watched a lot of women that I know and female friends step back from big goals or things they really wanted to do. Um, I joke all the time, but I'm the only friend I know left that's acting, you know, all my friends have quit. So not because they weren't talented because it's just by itself, it's extremely challenging and comes with things that no other job comes with just really psychotic, ridiculous things. Um, but also a lot of it was, well, I really want to have a baby, you know, or I'm going to get married and now I've got this household and I'm contributing and it changes your focus. Um, I agree. Most men are not, um, asked to do that, or it's not even a, a consideration and women are such badasses, right? So am I allowed to say that? My first Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, and men are too. There's so many wonderful men. I don't, I don't like the narrative of like boo men. I think that that's just like a waste of time when it could be uplift everyone. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's really tricky. And even though it's not something that I necessarily consciously believe, there are subconscious thoughts. There are things under the surface that are like, okay, well, you better figure out this other part of your life. And I always come back to the same thing, which is when you're doing what you love, you're a magnet, right? And every time I'm, I'm really authentically myself and, and living in my career, the right people come into my life, whether for work or personal. Um, but yeah, that pressure is unreal. It's unreal, that pressure. Who do you work with? I mean, do you have representation? You got an agent, a manager? I mean, do you have a team that's helping question. you making this make sense? <laughs> no. no, no, I do. I, I do. And I don't, I do. And I don't, um, I had a wonderful team, um, uh, like a lot of people in terms of commercial voiceover youth and legit right into, uh, 2016. And I got very sick with Lyme disease. Um, which is such a gift. It got me to actually slow down and rest. No one's ever said um, Lyme disease is a gift. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, I don't really suggest it. Like, don't go looking for the tips, but <laughs> if it happens, <laughs> find the good. Um, and 
And that was kind of when I was stepping out of youth into adult anyway. So there would have been changes happening anyway. Um, but by the time I was ready to get back in, in like 2018, um, no, I was doing it. I was doing it by myself. And I think I was able to notice early on that I book a ton of work myself anyway. So it wasn't like, oh God, what do I do? Um, the thing that really throws people is I booked Knives Out with no team. So that's like, you know, people really respond crazy to that. And a lot of the podcasts I've done that are actor-based, it's almost like they can't process what I'm saying. But I booked the Fiddler tour without, I mean, I had, I had a manager at the time, but I went to the open call, right? And I've booked a ton of commercials and voiceovers from Actors Access, which is like a, an actor's breakdown site. And, you know, you go and you show up and I've, I've booked things just from, from word of mouth or working with people once, working with them again. Um, I think that the gatekeeping idea of agents and managers, when they're the right team, awesome. When they're the wrong team, terrible. It's not good. Um, I am working right now with, I signed with a management um, about six months ago and um, I have not seen any, anything coming from from that. So to give you an example, I mean, it's, it's a Friday this week. I had an audition for Nickelodeon, really fun voiceover. Um, I had an audition for a movie I would love to do that, um, actually has a fiddler person in it, like a big fiddler name. Um, of course they follow you everywhere and I'm doing this interview. I'm, I am like pitching and marketing myself constantly and, and setting up all these other interviews. And I've got this really exciting week of giveaways leading up to releasing a song, doing that alone. So whether or not there's a name on my website, you know, it's, that doesn't really matter. I do have a great team outside of it. Right. And let me, let me be clear. I want a team. Like I want a great team. I want the agents. I want the managers, but I've never been afraid to pass on contracts. I've passed on several and, um, I've had a lot of wonderful former agents and I'm still in touch with say, I would bring you in for you to meet with the adult division. They could have never gotten you anything close to what you're getting yourself. And so I just have to like sit with that and trust the right people are coming. What is it to navigate all of this stuff on your own? Yeah, you know, you, you write a song or you want it, you get the idea of a song and how do you know what the next step is? Doesn't management, doesn't an agent, don't they sort of help you at least point you in the right direction, connect you with a couple of people, hopefully? Right. Again, the right team. Yes. Um, the right match for you and really gets you and you really get them. Yeah, totally. And I think any industry, right? So I've been doing a lot of calls with producers since the end of last year when I was like, and now I'll produce. And I don't know why these crazy people are like, yeah, let's hop on a call. So I think it's also about just creating relationships in general and that those are very helpful. Um, my, my team though, you know, starts with me and I have a, a wonderful therapist who gets to have some of that bouncing, right? <laughs> and I have some really, really dear, wonderful friends who are also up for that. And some are in the industry and some are not. Um, and most of all, I, I, I have me, you know, so I, I trust my intuition. I trust my gut. And I know I could talk it at length with my mom, or I know I could talk it at length with a best friend or someone in the industry. But at the end of the day, I have to choose. I have to know what's best. Um, I have to trust that feeling yes or no, or do this or don't. Um, and then like, you know, the steps wise, I'm just really obsessed with research. I love researching things. I love knowing I'll ask questions. Um, again, I think with knives, it opens so many doors that I get the opportunity and the privilege to ask the questions. Well, tell me about knives. Cause you said you booked that with no management, no agent. I mean, 
how did you even know about it? How did you get in the door? Who did you know? I mean, how did it come to pass that you were even being considered for something? Um, so when I was on that Fiddler tour, I, uh, went out to the movies one night. We had, you know, Monday nights off. We had just gotten to a new city. And, um, I remember like, I'd never gone to a movie alone before because that's how young I was. So I was like, oh, I'll just go to the movies. And it was for a movie written and directed by a guy that, um, a group of my friends at home really loved. And so I was like, oh, cool. Like maybe I'll like, there was a Q and A and, um, you know, I went up and asked him to like sign something for a friend. And we just like became friends. We just stayed in touch. And that is Ryan Johnson, who um, has written and directed quite a few things, including Knives Out. Um, But uh, the industry was never part of it. Like we never talked about, you know, we're actually like, it's an actual friendship, you know? So we were always talking about, you know, like whatever boy was making me cry or, you know, some new movie to go see or whatever. Um, And I was in and out for Star Wars with him. um, And it just ended up not being like the right fit. And we got to Knives and he said, you know, yet again, there's really no female role that is like perfect for you. And this is like, crap. you know, I want to work together at this point. I've watched you. I know, I know you can do this. Um, so he wrote me the role and he added it in. And what was that role? Uh, that's Sally. So Sally is um, a legal assistant to Frank Oz, the great Frank Oz, um, who was wonderful. And um, he played the attorney for the entire family. So our scenes were with the whole cast. Yeah, I was going to say, who is in this? Awesome. This is a ridiculous yeah. room that you were in. You're standing yeah, beside Frank room. Oz and who else? Yeah. Take me around, take me around the room. Uh, Chris Evans, Tony Collette, Jamie Lee Curtis, Daniel Craig, um, Ricky Lindholm, Noah Segan. Um, just like a bunch of really ugly, talentless people. Oh, the worst. The worst. Oh, Michael Shannon. <gasps> Michael Shannon. Like Keith Stanfield. Oh my gosh. Just, yeah, just ridiculous. It's ridiculous levels of talent. Um, and incredibly welcoming and very pumped to have me there. And, uh, we all had trailers of course, but instead we just hung out in the basement of this giant mansion and played games and, you know, had a blast. It was really wonderful. So, um, that's quite, uh, that's quite the first movie. I had never even done like a student film. You know what I mean? So it's like, like, let's go. Yeah, they're all student films. I've done, you know, student films and indie films, and uh, they're all very much like that cast in the room. You just, yeah, yeah it's just, it, it, it's always it's Frank Oz, Daniel Craig, and, and Chris Evans walking to a bar. Yeah. No, it's like some crappy joke. Yeah. And I hesitate too, right? I hesitate because I can tell you if I was listening to this and I didn't really know the story and I heard like, oh, some actress is like best friends with this big writer director and like he like wrote her apart, you know. No, that's like 10 years of him watching me work. You know, it's a lot of callbacks that didn't go through. It's a lot of things of me being like bummed and frustrated, you know, and along a lengthy illness with Lyme. So it wasn't, uh, I I always want to clarify. It wasn't like he was like, hey, what up? What are you doing next week? You know, like, (laughs) here's your, this is me working since I was 11, you know? So I like to clarify in case anyone listening is thinking that. When you make a big leap, you certainly don't want to, you don't want to feel like you're going backwards. So, I mean, how did you follow up Knives Out? Right. With the pandemic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You just ah! shut it all down. You just go, great. I had the biggest role in my life and now I'm going to not done. work for two years. Oh, man. Is that not true? Yeah. That was, that was, um, I had a, a little pity party season for myself until I got some perspective and I was like, you know what? I'm alive. I'm well. The people I love are alive and well. 
And if this is all I ever do, I have lived the biggest dream I've ever had. How lucky am I? Right. Um, and that really became a huge shift for me, um, at the end of last year into this year. But yeah, I mean, I was literally living my dream. We were, I was living in LA and maybe all these events and these things and premieres. And, um, I cannot explain to you what it felt like. It was the most solidifying thing. Like I was not wrong. You know, I, I, this is what I've always known I'm supposed to be doing where I'm supposed to be. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I had my pity party. And then I just was like, you know what? No, you know, I, so I produced that movie. I did the voiceover for it. I started taking all these meetings and these calls and just like building my relationships. And, um, I started interviewing music producers and that idea started to take shape. Um, I've done a lot of voiceover jobs. I just did a narrative podcast that comes out early next year. I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, so that's the, the follow up. And you know, luckily, I do know already. I'm working on um, with the same team a TV show next year. Um, so that's really exciting. And um, I feel like I'm going to keep working at this level. Um, I mean, again, like God willing, but that's, that's the, the feeling I have is that this is, that was like a taste and now we're going to get the whole meal. Talk to me about the balancing and the importance of self-promotion. I mean, how do you get the word out about yourself? Because if you're not in a project, it's hard to tell people to go look at you doing something or if, and oftentimes when you're actually making something, you have nothing to actually show right then and there. Or you can't. Yeah. Or you can't. You literally are not allowed to show stuff and you're not allowed to talk about it. So how do you go about promoting yourself uh, so that people know you, respect you, see your work, understand who you are, and then certainly consider you when the time comes? Yeah, I think podcasts for sure have been um, instrumental for promotion and, you know, working with like very select types of brands and doing Instagram lives and, and Q&A and stuff like that. Um, I think it has to come from a place where you know that you not only people want to know what you're up to. Um, but that you deserve to share it. It took me a long time. I, I almost didn't share anything about Knives Out. Like it, I almost nothing, you know, or oh, pretty much anything I do. I've always been very quiet um, or not putting on social media. Instead, I'd be like, here's this picture of me or my dog, you know? Um, but I think, yeah, you have to come from that place. Podcasts for sure. Pitching yourself, you know, pitch yourself to a local, a local magazine, pitch yourself to uh, a newspaper nearby, you know, um, be bold enough to take that action. Um, that's pretty much how I, I mostly do it. And I, I often go back to like, just having faith that eventually I'm going to have a PR team that's going to do it. And, uh, I won't have to, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I think, I think there's just so many ways right now, you know, if you, if you can think of it, you can do it. So whether some people are making TikToks, you know, and, and essentially promoting self that way, or, um, you know, doing interviews and, um, I had to accept that people want to hear from me and are excited and that I've moved into a new level and then everything started to open up. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have a really difficult time selling themselves, you know, and and follow very closely by, they have a very difficult time selling their stuff. So whether it's their music, their art, their film or whatever. And, and, you know, they they all think that it's really smart of me to do it, but the reality is you kind of have to learn how to do it Yeah, and you have to have the guts to do it or else you're not going to sell anything. You're you're ultimately not going to have that next opportunity. You're your product, right? So yes, is it true that, you know, after Fiddler, I would just get like requests to come do a reading? Yeah, 
Totally. Is it true that since Nights Out, I've gotten like way more emails and way more scripts and things like that? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like doors open, but you have to be the one like moving with it. And I think it's very true that talent has very little to do. We all need talent, right? We all need creativity, but um, it has very little to do with so much of this industry. And I fought that for a long time. It would make me angry. And now I believe that to be true. And there are so many people unbelievably talented in schools and churches all over, you know, singing their hearts out and, and uh, bringing joy to their loved ones, but don't want to do the industry and, you know, didn't or couldn't understand it or didn't speak that language or didn't want to promote, you know, and that's great. Um, but there are way less talented people who are extremely successful just because they're confident enough to put themselves out there. Well, tell me, what kind of advice might you have for somebody who does want to get into the into the industry? They want to start acting. They want to start singing. I would say you can totally do it. It's not something, the way the internet and um, many coaching programs or many um, things you might find on a Google search are going to make it sound like this is some impossible trek. I think that you got to get your perspective and your mind right first or as you're pursuing it. And then I think you just go for it, you know, submit yourself to projects, do those local films, do, do things with your friends, you know, just have fun and then see where it goes. Don't be so obsessed with the, the end point. Speaking of the end point, where can people find out a little bit more about <laughs> you? <laughs> Perfect segue. I love it. Um, CarrieFrancis.com and Carrie is K-E-R-R-Y and Francis is F-R-A-N-C-E-S. Very hard names to spell. And Carrie Francis Official is my Instagram and my TikTok, which I am currently not uh, actually using, but I have great plans to in the future. I'm on Instagram way too much. Instagram is the place to find me and connect with me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing how you make a living. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a great time. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, visit makingalivingshow.com and follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.